we are beginning here, and of course, in this particular month, our month of beginning, I'm looking at a practical application. So this might take a little bit of, of uh, concentration on your part and just to consider the practical application. I, I really knew a lot of this um, when I was very young. My, one of my Sunday school teachers, um, uh, Sister Cooper, she was very, uh, 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 she pressed us for application. And my father often taught uh, really uh, in, in, um, in Bible lessons the application of the scripture line by line. So, um, so this is really part of, 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 a, of a daily uh, operation in, in my personal study. However, we also know that, that we have to be taught this and it's critical for us. There are, there's, there's a, a definitive uh, uh, conclusion, and there's a reason for memorization of Scripture. And I, I don't know if you're going to grasp this or not, but it's very, very important that we memorize Scripture. And I will, at the, at the, hopefully at the conclusion, um, I'll offer a few of those reasons. The first thing that I want to talk to you tonight is just about the, the apply the application or applying the Bible it's it's interesting to me that that uh, that there are that there is a a, a a beauty of of emphasis when we talk about the spirit a spirit-led church and a spirit-led church uh, has um, it has particular attributes spirit-led Congregations are by nature demonstrative in their presentations or in their worship. Um, there's another side, and it's not an absence of spirit-led, but it's a word, uh, it's a word church. So I think both the spirit and the word have to not just coexist, but they, uh, uh, but they have to join together to make a good balance. Um, there, it's it's. There are things that join together. Uh, you can suffer from sleep deprivation. Your body needs rest. Um, there are times when you need to pause and not speak and just relax. Uh, your body has a, has a whole host of, of needs. And it cannot be just one thing. And so uh, also, so too, your spiritual life needs this. So... I'm offering some practical applications, and some of this might be a little a little uh, heavy. Um, uh, you'll know it when we get there. Um, Matthew's introduction of the temptation of Jesus Christ occurs in the fourth chapter, and it is a it is a correct application of Scripture. In fact, Jesus is going to give us the the proper method of using the Bible. If you'll remember, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he spends 40 days in fasting. At the end of his fast, when he's the weakest, at the weakest point, Satan comes to tempt him. And Satan tempts him three different times. And in those instances of temptation, 
when the physical frame of Jesus Christ, though he is the incarnate God, when he is the weakest, at his weakest point, uh, Satan comes to tempt him. And in each instance, uh, Jesus used the scripture to thwart the attacks of the devil. Now, if the incarnate God uses the scripture to combat spiritual darkness and temptation, how much more should we use the scripture? But if we don't know the scripture, we can't use the scripture. When someone tells us something, we should reply, and we know it's wrong, we should reply, but the Bible says. Or did you know that the scripture has already addressed that? Or when we, when we think something in our heart or mind that we know has come from a spiritual attack, um, I believe it's the scripture that's going to heal us and protect us. And if you don't know what to say, and you're not familiar with the scripture, then this is the place to start. You just speak the name Jesus, and then you go from there. Because that is the application of the scripture. It's the application of your faith. It's the word. We always use the word to combat spiritual darkness, and there is a lot of spiritual darkness in this age. Now, I think that the, the late 2019, uh, there, was a, there was a clear setup. Uh, I don't think, I, I'm not sure that the world knew what was going to happen. But I do think the powers that be understood that something troubling was coming. And there was a lot of preachers that were texting me at the time in December of 2019 asking what the theme or motto would be for our year. And I've never really had a motto because I'm too hyper to stick with one thing for the 12 months. So I usually get one for about a month and then I forgot what we said last month. And so we're going to something else. But all of them started texting these wonderful images and pictures. They had banners. They had printed for their churches. They, they were putting them up. In January, they had all this stuff printed. It was 2020 uh, uh, for, for 2020, you know. Clear vision, 2020. That lasted until March the 12th, when no one had a clue what was going to happen. So it was clear, and then it was cloudy. And then they took the banners down because they said, we're, we weren't sure. So I tell them now, how did that work for you? You're 2020. You knew nothing. And we didn't know what we were doing. But in that day, something also took place in 2019 and 2020. And this is just... This is recent history. This is very close to us. I believe that we hyperbold into another era. It's almost like a dispensation. Spirits have been unleashed on the earth and depression and, and the shut-in and, and, and the lack of, of, of communication and the human touch and, and, and all that we, uh, we assumed had been thrown out the window. And so... How do we combat that today? What, what are we going to address? Uh, how do we address these particular spirits that are really now very prevalent among us? We have to use the word of God, only the scripture. The Bible is the inspired word of God. Every word of God is pure. It's right. How do I, how do, how do I get past all of the things that I deal with? It has to be through the scripture. 
I have to have the word. That's why it's so important for you and I to read the Bible every year, every day. We ought to be reading the scripture. We, we, we should make a pact with ourselves that we won't even eat food unless we read a verse in the Bible. I would assume that if, that if, that if our food was, uh, was contingent upon our Bible reading, we might even be more apt to read the scripture. How are we doing now? There was very few amens. Nobody really cares about that. You, you think, I'm just, I'm, I'm proposing something to you. Because if you don't have the word of God in your heart, and then when you get the word, then you can apply the word. Now, I, I think this is a word church, but I also think this, we have a demonstrative worship. I want both of those things. It's very critical because in the word, there's sacrifice. In the worship, there's praise. How did David bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem? How did he do it? He went to Abinadab's house. It had been there for 20 years. He was on his way back. He didn't do it. He wasn't carrying it the right way. There was a, there was a, a major hiccup. He goes back to Jerusalem. He leaves the Ark of the Covenant at the house of Obadiah for three months. For three months, 90 days, they studied how to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Finally, after three months, they figured out what those, what those loops were on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. There was poles, staves, were supposed to go through the Ark of the Covenant. No one was supposed to touch it. Of course, the question has been asked, well, how did the Philistines move it? That's an interesting concept. There's no record of the Philistines having staves. They moved the Ark of the Covenant around. How did they do that? I just, I can't answer it in whole, but I can t tell you this. Just because the world can do things and it looks like they're getting by with it, that doesn't mean you can. You're bound by a higher law. Be very careful. Don't think, well, they're, they're touching it. That don't mean you can touch it. Well, they're saying all kinds of bad things about ministry and about prophets. and That don't mean you can. You're not of this world. You're in a different world. In fact, the world that you're living in right now is not, we don't, we're, not, we're not living in this. We're looking for a home that's beyond this home. If this is your home, do whatever you want to. But if Jesus is the king and you're in part of the kingdom, then you, you live by a different set of standards. So, how did he move? He moved it, but every six paces, the Bible says, they stopped and they had a, a moment of sacrifice. And they, and they sacrificed a lamb. And then they worshipped. And then they sacrificed and they worshipped. It took a long time to get from Obadiah's house to the gates of Jerusalem. Because every six paces, they stopped and had a sacrificial moment. All right. So, sometimes the sacrifice and sometimes the shouting. Sometimes it's just teaching and sometimes it's exhortation in the word and inspiration. Amen. That's right. So when you use the scripture, there's authority that you have. Now, it's not based upon your personality or your goodness. The authority that I have is not based upon some intrinsic goodness that I have. I have no goodness. In fact, Jesus said there is none good save God. So whatever authority that I have, it has to come from the spirit and the word. And when I'm in the word, I have authority. 
It doesn't matter if the whole crowd or all the people despise it or reject it. If I'm in the word, then it's okay. Because I always have the majority because I'm always with God. If I'm outside the word, it doesn't matter if everyone loves it. <laughs> oh, man. You got, you got to get back to the authority of the scripture. When you have authority, you, it, it, me, it, by virtue, it means that you're walking in the spirit and you're using the scripture and you're knowing the scripture. It's applying the scripture. So when I'm praying for someone and when you pray for someone, when you pray for them and you put your hands on them, this is part of the New Testament uh, basis of understanding. Peter would say, let's not lay again the foundations of resurrection from the dead and baptisms and the laying on of hands. Let's go on to the next step. So laying on of hands was fundamental for the early church, just like baptisms of water and spirit. When you pray for someone and you lay your hand on them, I would submit to you to be careful how you lay your hands on someone. I always try to put my hand, grab their hand or put my hand on their, their forearm or their shoulder. Um, I remember growing up, we had a lot of prayer in our church. If you wanted a good back rub, you could go to the altar and there's four or five ladies that just rub your back up and down. Massage. I, I don't know if that was laying on of hands, but it was sort of, you know. Uh, there's an appropriateness, you know. If someone's new, they might not want five people laying hands on them. It might be good not to lay hands. Sometimes I have even asked someone, or I've asked someone that I especially didn't know very well, can I, can I take your hand? Can I put your hand on your shoulder, my hand on your shoulder and pray for you? It's not interrupting them, it's appropriateness. Now, we're just getting practical application because laying on of hands is in the Bible. Then when I do that, now I'm going to, by authority, use the application of the scripture by the word of God, the power that's in the name of Jesus. I pray. Now we're praying for them. This is patterns of invoking the blood and the name and the word. It's the blood that heals everything. It's the word by the authority of the word of God. And the power that's in the name of Jesus. And when I lay my hands on you. In the name of Jesus I pray. Why do I know that? Because when Peter and John. Took the man by the right hand. And lifted him up in Acts chapter 3. And they took him. They took Peter and John. And put him in the midst of the Sanhedrin council. And they said. Listen. By what authority. By what name have you done this? And Peter and John said. We did it by the authority and the name of Jesus Christ. So there's your application. If you're going to pray, pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the most basic application where you begin is to apply the scripture to whatever you're doing. Apply the scripture. The scripture will filter out a whole lot of things in your life. The scripture will tell you what's right and wrong. It is a, a lazy believer who wants someone to tell them what's right and wrong, but will not spend time in prayer or read the scripture. Not only is it lazy, but it also can cause a lot of trouble. Hopefully someone tells you the right thing. Because if you don't know the word, and you're getting your information from the internet, or from phone a friend, then you could be in trouble if they give you the wrong answer. Let's just do some applications. 
this is a model prayer, and it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. This, these are the words of Jesus. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here is the model prayer. Now, in your Bibles and, and uh, uh, many uh, commentary uh, descriptions, this is called the Lord's Prayer. If you would look this up online, it's the Lord's Prayer. If you go to a bookstore, a Christian bookstore, it's the Lord's Prayer. But the Bible never called it the Lord's Prayer. In fact, this is the model prayer given for the disciples. It's probably more of the church prayer, and it's a model prayer, not necessarily to be repeated in recital. Everybody got that? So it's okay. I mean, I've, I've prayed it many times. I've, I've prayed the scripture, but it's a model prayer. So uh, in this house for 31 days here in the month of January, three times a day, people are praying. Uh, yesterday I was here and I, I opened up this uh, Matthew 6 and verse 9 and I prayed through it. And then I, then I prayed it in, in the way that, that, it, that it should apply to me in application. Our Father, which art in heaven, I recognize you, Lord. You are the Father of all creation. And your name is holy. Let your kingdom come. And the moment I say that, I have to confront my own kingdom. If I pray for his kingdom, I cannot establish my own kingdom. Let your will be done. Ooh, that's tough. Let it be done here, just like it's done there. Give us this day our daily bread. This is very hard for an American we are an affluent society. We don't really think about what we're going to eat. So I say, Lord, help me to thank you and cherish the provisions that you have given us. And now we're going to get internal. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors because it's very easy for us to seek forgiveness than to offer it. If you just recite this without applying it to your life, because the moment you get to verse 12, you could be in big trouble. And we don't need a show of hands, but we know that many of us will seek for forgiveness. But when it's our turn to forgive, we have a tough time forgiving other people. It's a hard, it's a hard task. But if you're going to apply the scripture, it's imperative that you forgive. Amen. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Um, I added a couple of, of verses here because there's something about verse 12 that then becomes a, a, almost a reiteration in verse 14. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Um, but if you don't, then you're not forgiven. Now we leave that off because sometimes we don't, we don't think that this is really applicable to us. But this is critical and it's part of the prayer. So you have to apply the Lord's Prayer to your life. That's practical application. I want you to speak with other tongues as often as you can get in that prayer mode. But I also want you to pray with your words to declare your own heart before God. Amen. Okay. Because I do know it's easy to get in recitals it's a little bit harder to have a communication with the Lord. But once you start communicating with the Lord, it will not only give you authority and power, 
when you're ready to pray over any situation in your life, you'll have the things to say. Um, there's a couple things I've noticed in, in, in modern day language. And um, modern day language has gotten, English language has gotten very sloppy. Uh, the interviews, I've been hearing interviews lately. And a couple things, ways I wish that people would not answer. Uh, they'll ask a question and then this is the, the first words not to say. Uh, if, if the person's answering, they should not start with these words. I mean, I mean, this is what I was going to say, I mean. Or the word like. Like, I mean, I never saw it that way. But that's nonsense. You know. And the people use the word at the end of the day. What, what are we talking about? Well, at the end of the day. These catchphrases have, have diluted our vocabulary. And now that I've said that, I'm going to end up saying at the end of the day in my sermon on Sunday. Because everything I, you know, what I hate saying, I end up saying on Sunday. I mean, I mean, what do you want from me? I mean, like, at the end of the day, like, what do you want? I mean, so as you're talking to the Lord, you, you need to express yourself to God. But you will run out of words to say. And when the enemy comes against you, you can't just say, I mean, why am I being like at the end of the day? Why is this happening to me? Talk to God. But this is how you confront the enemy by using the scripture and your own prayer life. Amen. So just as, as, as we're beginning here, we want to begin to use the scripture not only just to, to, to solidify our faith, and not just to, to thwart all the attacks of the enemy, but to have an understanding of where we are. And then I believe that when we begin to worship and praise God, then we'll know who we're praising because we have an understanding of the scripture. You are the great God. I, am, I worship you. I give you praise and glory. And now all the flood of the wonderful things that he has done that I've read about in the scripture comes to my mind while I'm praising Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to try to stay in the book of Matthew if I can. Because I want you to be able to go back to this and just remember we're, we're talking about Matthew, the book of Matthew. Jesus said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill, you'll be in danger of judgment. But I say that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, thou shall be in danger of hell fire. These are strong words. Now, I'll go to the next one because there are two different applications we can use here. Verse 23, if you bring a gift to the altar, but you remember your brother has ought against you, just leave your gift and try to reconcile with your brother or reconcile and then come back and offer your gift. So here's two different things. Here's the application of the scripture. When I'm reading the Bible, I have to apply it to myself. I've got to apply the scripture. So in this particular case, I'm reading and I'm submitting myself to the Bible, to the scripture. So if you define murder as shooting someone with a gun or, or taking their physical life, then you've only uh, subscribed to a portion of, of the definition. Because by the definition of Jesus Christ, if you hate uh, and, and, and if there's, and there's, you have a judgment against them, an anger against them. You can kill someone, and it's in your heart much hate. 
Well, that, that, that's really, that really messes us up. Now, I didn't read all of the chapter because if you're reading further in this chapter or prior to it, uh, if, if a person has, has a, an, an affair with someone, um, a man or a woman, and it's a, a fornication or adultery, then, then there is a sinful aspect to that, of course. It's a sin. But Jesus said, if you think that in your heart. So he's going to go way beyond the, the temporal. Now we have to apply it to our lives. If we have hate in our heart, I, I would, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know how you can be, be a believer and hate at the same time. Because one spring can't bring forth bitter and sweet water at the same time. I don't like everyone's actions. I don't even like all of my actions. The Bible says we have to love people who oppose themselves. Have you ever opposed yourself? Yes. The, the, but I have to make sure that I'm applying the scripture to myself. How about, how about verse 23? The application. These scriptures are not for some other person. They are for us. You have to apply the scripture to yourself. Otherwise, what we're doing is we're going to worship God, but we know there's issues in our lives. And so if there are issues, we have to straighten out those issues. Amen. And when it says thy brother, it, that is a general term. It could be your spouse. It could be your parents. It could be your sister. Or it could be a brother or sister in the Lord. There's wisdom in application. And I just, I can just move right down to the next verse, verse 25 of Matthew 5. Agree with your adversary quickly. Why would the Lord say that? While you're in the way with him. That means while you're walking with him, while you're talking to him. In fact, I'll simplify it. While you have an open communication and relationship with your enemy, agree with him. This is the words of Jesus. Lest at any time the adversary delivers thee to the judge, and the judge delivers thee to the officer, and you're cast into prison. Verily I say to thee, thou shalt be no mean, by no means come out thence till you've paid your uttermost farthing. So if there's an issue, you can take care of it among you and the person. Here's a little couple points for you. Number one, settle your matters. This is an application of the scripture. We're applying the Bible. If there's a matter, settle the matter. Don't allow a judge to make a determination if it's still in your hands to take care of the situation. Because you're relinquishing that. You lose control in the fight. You're fighting, and once you start fighting, you lose control. So agree with the adversary. Agree with the one... They may be wrong, but that doesn't mean that, that you should get into a fight with them because it'd be better for you to have control than you lose control. These are the words of Jesus Christ. How are you going to apply that to your life? Um, I looked at 1 Corinthians 6 and 5, and I think you have it here. Paul writes, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? Not, you don't have anybody? Not one who can judge between the brothers? But brother, you go to the law, you're, you're suing each other, and you're bringing your case between, um, 
before unbelievers? Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law with one another. Why do you not rather take wrong or why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? But instead, you're taking your case out to someone who has no fear of God. So these applications of scriptures may not, this may not apply to you at this very moment. But it's very important that you understand what the Bible says. There should never be a lawsuit against anyone that attends the church. There are elders that can take care of that. If you take it outside, you're presenting a case to someone who has no fear of God. This is what Jesus said. This is what Paul said. <laughs> the application of the scripture has to be in play. Now, if we don't know the Bible, then if we have ought, we'll just we'll say what we, what we want to say. We'll do what we want to do. But if we don't know the Bible, uh, and, and if we don't know the Bible, then we can get ourselves into, into a lot of trouble. So lean on the word. Apply the scripture. I'm just giving you small examples, very few examples tonight of the application of the word. When I'm reading the scripture, I'm applying the scripture to my everyday life. Now, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't hate anyone, but I've had bitter moments in my life. I don't have, I, I don't, I don't despise anyone, but I am careful. There's some folks I know that they're, they're, they're not of God and they're false brethren. I'm careful. I don't hate them. I pray for their soul. But I have to make sure that I'm applying the scripture to my life because I don't want to bring something to the Lord but then have a situation that I, that I could reconcile and I can't or I don't. Here are a few examples of, of applications and you need to begin these applications. These are story applications and there's a lot of Old Testament story applications that, that I hope and I really believe that you do this. I, I'm so grateful for the church. So when there's a preacher or there's a sermon and there's a, a, a divine inspiration of God, uh, those applications are for our admonition. And I'll just give you a few here. And David's prayer, he prays a prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. If you ever want to, to take time and just repent before the Lord, Open up Psalm 51 and pray the whole entire psalm before the Lord and then apply it to your life. Search me. Know me. Psalm 51 says, The sacrifice of God or a broken heart, a broken and a contrite spirit, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51 is a prayer of repentance. And that prayer of repentance has come from the gross sin that David committed when he stole another man's wife and had the man killed. The application is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. How did it come about? So here's the application. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle. If you're, if you're underlining something, underline that right there. At the time when kings go forth to battle, because that, that's, the, that's the flag. That's the first flag. There's going to be two of them. David sent Joab, his servant with him, all Israel. They destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. 
Here's the second flag. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. When kings are supposed to go into battle, the last line is this. David tarried still at Jerusalem. There are the two flags. Now, the way we get to Psalm 51 is because David did not do what he was called to do. He was called to be a warrior king. That was his calling. That was his obligation. How did he come about that? Well, first of all, David did not obey the Lord. The Lord said, don't have too many wives, too much land, or too many horses. And David had a lot of wives. He had a lot of land. He had a lot of horses. So, number one, he disobeyed God. Because when you get into a place where you can gain or you get comfortable, you start to make compromises with your walk with the Lord. So I submit my first application is when kings go forth into battle, David tarried in Jerusalem. My application is I've got to stay in my calling. I've got to do what God called me to do. And you also have to do the same thing. Because if you are not active in the church and in your calling, there's a good chance you'll face a temptation that will overwhelm you. Don't think that you're above temptation. If you're not devoted to God, you could easily fall to temptation. Trust me when I tell you, better men, better women who never thought they would ever fall from grace have done so because they neglected the calling of God in their life and they stayed home when they ought to have been worshiping and praising and giving God all of their best. Don't ever think you're above falling into sin. Don't ever think that you're spiritual enough that you'll never make a mistake and fall away. Don't ever think that. Because there's a million people who thought the same thing. And they sat in, in pews and chairs just like you have. You've always got to be sober. And you've always got to be diligent. And you've always got to be on guard. Because the smallest thing, a pebble in your shoe, a wedge in between you and someone can ultimately divide your walk with God and with the church. Amen. I don't speak from just uh, from a commentary. I speak from the years of experience when I've watched people. I, I never thought that they would backslip. I, I would tell you many years ago, never, ever, they will never. And today they are far from where they started. And backsliding just means they turn back on what they once believed. Amen. Now it breaks my heart. It hurts me, wounds me. And that's why you have to apply the scripture to your life. Don't let the scripture just be a novel or a book that you read and set aside. Apply the word to your life every day. Don't wait for the preacher or the teacher to explain the word to you. And then you say, well, that's good. Now, I don't, I, I've heard it. I, I hope you don't say it. I'm trying to tell you not to say it. But sometimes I'm preaching and someone walks up to me. This has been going on for a long, long time, several decades now, actually multiple decades. And after the sermon's over, they'll say, I know who that sermon was for. Amen. Okay. That's rough. I remember Brother Woodward came here one time. He, he, was, he was teaching a lesson and a man came up to me and said, I know exactly who that one was for. And I thought to myself, and I, I, I wasn't bold enough to say it. I am now. I'm going to say it. That was for you, sucker. Well, I mean, that, that's a little raw, whatever. Forgive me, Lord. Actually, no, that's good. That's good. I'm gonna, I, I wanna, 
It's part of the English language. It's descriptive. Uh, accurate. Uh, just if, 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 we, if we walk in and say, well, I don't know who this is for. It's for you. It's for me. It's for you. It may not be today, but it might be tomorrow. The lesson and the bullet point may not be what you need right now, but it might be next week or a year from now. How many times have I seen people just marking the blanks? I don't, that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to me. But today it applies, but they didn't think that it would ever apply because they had confidence in their flesh. Now you're going to say, I have confidence in my walk with God. No, 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 no. That's still flesh. You lean upon the Lord because without the grace and mercy of God, you didn't even get up and get in here, but God allowed you to do that. Amen. That doesn't mean I feel my walk with the Lord is suspect. It just means that I want to be careful with my walk with God and know that he is the one who sustains me. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You think about this as your daily food, and then you apply it to your life. I'll give you another one. Here's Abraham's revelation. He goes up to Mount Moriah. Uh, maybe you should skip to, to verse 22, uh, uh, verse 2 of, of Genesis 2. This is what God said. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. Now, this was not his only son. Isaac was the second son, but God didn't call him the second son. Because Isaac was the son of obedience, and Ishmael was the son of the bondwoman. So God is not recognizing what Abraham did on his own. God's recognizing the miracle of his own supernatural power. And God knew that the test was not about Ishmael. It was about Isaac. Because Isaac was born of a mother, a woman, who had no business, had no right, and could not bear children in her old age. And God declared it. And God said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac on, the, on Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. I'll tell you where you're going. Because Moriah is not just one mountain. Moriah is actually a a mountainous range. You just start walking. I'll tell you when you get there. His revelation came in verse 14. When Isaac laid down on the altar, Abraham had the dagger. He was ready to plunge it into the heart, the beating heart of his own son. Now, now the Hebrew scholars, they declare that Abraham's faith was so great that he believed that God could raise up Isaac from the dead. Because this debate's been going on for centuries of time. Would, would Abraham actually have stabbed or killed or his own son? Would he have made the sacrifice? And so the hypothetical was that God would have raised him from the dead. But there's no need really to, to traverse that territory. Because the angel of the Lord intervened and held the hand of Abraham. And Abraham is walking down the other side of the mountain. He called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be seen, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord shall provide. And the Lord provided because there was a lamb caught in a, in a thicket. So this is the application. How do I apply that to my life? The Lord asked me to do something 
that's very precious to me. Can the Lord ask you to give up what you love the most? Uh, I was praying, I was praying uh, today, and I was praying, Lord, what, what is it that people uh, cleave to? What is it, what is it they love? And money never even entered my mind. Time, the Lord spoke to me and said time. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to ask the church, would you give time to the kingdom this year? Would you give time? If you give money, you'll make a budget. If it's a sacrifice, you'll, you'll make some extra things and sell them. But time is a commodity that cannot be replaced. And the Lord prodded me today. Would you give me time? When I look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, and, and the sacrifice of Abraham, it, the, 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 the patriarch is beyond our understanding. He's so far beyond most of us. We, in fact, any of us. Who can could, who could fathom the path of Abraham? That Abraham would leave his homeland with just one call come out from among them. Go to a land I will show you. Leave all of your inheritance, all your security, all of your safety net, all of your family. And Abraham starts to journey. And how could it be after all those years, God promised Abraham a son, and now God asks for that son in return. And Abraham walks up the mountain. He has the fire, he has the wood, and he has the sun. And Isaac says, Dad, we have the fire, the wood, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham proclaims out of his mouth a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. He says, God will provide himself a lamb. Maybe Abraham had no idea what he was saying. So what's the application here? And all I can submit to you is, can God ask you to do something, to give something that you cannot Get back. Are you willing to submit? And the storyline of the scripture is not just for us to read about Abraham, but it's to apply what happened to Abraham. And I feel like the Spirit is calling for us to give time. That's a big one. That's a lot. Um, can we give our days an hour? Revelation comes also by way of obedience. And when you seek for revelation, you have to first be obedient. Abraham never knew God as the God who provides until first there was obedience. Obedience does not always come with understanding, ladies and gentlemen. Some people say, Pastor, if you'll just explain it to me, I'll be obedient. I'll, I'll do it if you'll tell me why. Now, someone help me with the rationalization. God did not explain to Abraham why. He just said, take your son, your only son, and bring him up to the mountain. And sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I want you to kill him, and then I want you to light the fire. Because that's the burnt offering. The lamb is, is slain, and then the, and then the lamb is cooked. And that is a gruesome thought. But Abraham has no explanation except 
This is the pattern of God. Obedience rarely comes with understanding. Understanding comes after the revelation. First you obey, then God will give you enlightenment. I don't remember which one of our kids said it, but we have asked them to do something. And they said, if you'll just explain why I can't do that, I'll, then I'll understand. Uh, I think my brother said that a lot to mom and dad. Just tell me why I can't go there. Um, and there are times when it's not, there's not a clear explanation. But like my father often told me, I don't have to give you a reason. I'm your father. I don't have to tell you why. I'm your dad. Uh, that is unsettling to a logical young man like Scott. <laughs> Rebellious young logical like Scott. <laughs> Can the heavenly father say to you, no. This is what the people of the Lord often do. We refute and rebut what the Lord says. We know it's the word of God, but because we don't understand it, we're not willing to do it. I would just say, if you see in the scripture, you better be obedient to the scripture. If you know it's of the Lord, be obedient. God will give you revelation afterwards. You're never going to know that the Lord will provide until you lay down what, what you love the most. Amen. Now, now, we have to apply that to our lives. Here is our deficit. Our deficit is we have the book. We're not, we're not living in the book. These people that lived in the book did not have it. They were, they were living out in real time. Now, we ought to have an advantage, but sometimes we don't have an advantage. Sometimes we have a disadvantage because we have it too easy. Amen. Here's, here is the application in, in the sermon. It's, I'll, I'm giving you the example of Amos chapter 2, verse 12, because I've preached this and it's been some time. The, the, the prophet says, I raised up of your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Don't prophesy, I'll prophesy not. So what happened here was that God called young men and young women for dedication and for prophetic ministry. But the parents and the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles, they polluted and they, and they distorted uh, the dedication of the Nazarite. The Nazarite vow was a vow that you would never drink any strong drink. And there was mul multiplicity of, of dedications and purities of the Nazarite vow. And God said, listen, I, I called them to be Nazarites and I appointed them to be prophets. But you didn't want them to prophesy and then you polluted their calling. So there's three applications here. So if that sermon or if that, if that uh, scripture is being read, here's our application. I'm just simplifying it. First, you have to recognize that God does the calling and he's calling our families. He's calling our young people. He's calling our young adults. He's calling you for a work. I believe God calls people to a level of purity that becomes the example of the whole body. I believe that God calls people for prophetic ministries, both preaching and one of the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. God calls that. But the next application is that 
is that if we're not careful, we'll deal with, we won't deal with our own darkness, our, our own issues. And, and we've got to deal with the things inside of us. Otherwise, there's an angst against anyone who's called. I've watched this before where a, where a young person grows up into a home with uncommitted parents. They are doing great in God, but the parents won't deal with their own issues. And so what happens is they pollute the call of their child in order to remove the condemnation of their own life. Because they can't take it that their kids are dedicated to God, but they are half-hearted. That's the application. <laughs> so I would just say to all those, we're going to thank God for everyone who's used of the Holy Ghost and used in purity and used in spiritual gifts. And if it makes us feel uncomfortable, we're going to deal with the things in our own heart. Instead of polluting them or putting them down. Or telling them that that, that may not be good. What if one of the young people is called to do something in this city? But it makes you look bad. And they become the great soul winner. And you become what you've always been, the dud. Uh-huh. I've seen a dud. I've watched a dud. I've lit the firecracker. It was a dud. I spent a dollar. And it just, shh, nothing. No, no explosion. And when it's still smoldering... It could be a dub, but you don't want to get close to it just in case it does go off. It never goes off because it's a dud. Someone left something out of that thing. It's got spark, but only for a moment. There's no explosion. That's a dud. It looks like a firecracker. It feels like a firecracker. It lights like a firecracker, but it's a dud. That kind of reminds me of near beer. Uh-huh. One time I was so bold I bought a six-pack of near beer and brought it to church. <laughs> Sister Mary Felt wasn't happy with me. She was, and Sister Wright, so they, she, they didn't feel like that application was very good. It was early on. Uh-huh. Near beer. Looks like beer. I guess. Tastes like beer. I've never tasted beer. I didn't even open up the near beer. Has no alcohol in it, but just looks like it, but it's got no punch. You look like you're a Pentecostal. You got a little sizzle in you, but you got no explosion. Uh You look like you're saved, you put on the part, and you're part of the culture. But you've got no power. And the devil says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? So before we dilute and pollute everything else around us, we ought to thank God that there's somebody worshiping the Lord. Instead of us looking from the stands and saying, I wonder why they're up there doing that again. Just let them be. That's right. Here's the application. God calls you. And you might say, well, I'm not a young person. That's okay. God calls you to do something extraordinary. Don't let anyone tell you that you cannot do it. Now, I've watched both sides. I've watched the Lord call someone to the ministry, and I've watched their wives call them to the ministry. Whew, that's rough. And the latter is not so good. 
but I've watched, I've watched a spouse fight the call of God. I've watched a spouse demean everything. I've watched a spouse, men or woman, doesn't matter, a husband or a wife, dilute everything, fight everything that's holy. Until that man, he has been demoralized. Until that woman knows she's never going to get any help. I want to tell you, you better work with the darkness and get it out of your heart. And thank God that God has called some, some people to a vow and to some powerful ministries in the church. Here's application, ladies and gentlemen. When I'm reading that, I'm not just reading what the prophet wrote about a people that lived 2,000 years ago. I'm reading about today. Application of the scripture. That's where we begin. These are just pulling from my own thoughts. The, the, the man Hiel, Hiel, he, there was a, there was a curse. Don't, here's, here's the curse. Don't ever build the walls of Jericho again. God took them down by supernatural authority. Don't rebuild them. And this is what Joshua and all the elders said. Anyone who rebuilds these walls, they'll do it at the cost of their own sons. Anyone. And decades and hundreds of years later, a man named Hiel, he was a Jewish man. He was a Hebrew. But at the beckoning of a heathen king, he rebuilt the walls. And he, and he killed and sacrificed one of his sons in the gate and put him in the foundation. And in the walls, he killed and sacrificed his other son. And the curse came true. And my application for you in this, in this moment is this. Don't build back what God had destroyed in your life. If you go back to what God delivered you from, you'll do it at the cost of your own family. Here's the application. Because I can't leave Hiel and the walls of Jericho just as a storybook form. I'm applying it to my life. How about the sermon applications? The Thane. It's the Thane, the supernatural work. And there's so many more. The parables of buried talents and forgiving and ten virgins, the wise and the foolish what made the wise wise? Because they were always prepared. They were always ready. They, they were careful with their oil. The oil is, is likened to both the Holy Ghost and the anointing. They were always making sure that they were ready, that, they're, that they were filled. And I, the application is so simple. We have to have a constant walk with God that, that our lives are filled with the Spirit daily on a daily basis. Let me just ask you, what's going to keep you saved? What's going to keep you in the church? What's going to keep you coming back time and again? There's got to be an awareness of the times and an application of the scripture. We have to apply it. Because if you don't apply it, it'll just be another book. It'll just be a nonfiction book, but it's not something that you, you care too much about. If you're going for the shout only, then you'll only come when there's a shout. Or you'll only feel satisfied. What happened to saying, that was a wonderful service. Did anyone shout? No, but we, but we absorbed the word of God. Amen. And we're going to shout, and we're going to dance, and we're going to run the aisles. And we ought to be dancing before the Lord. I think men and women ought to be dancing before the Lord. I think we should follow the path of, of both the lame man in Acts chapter 3 who went into the temple leaping and dancing and praising God. And we should, be, we should be following the example of David who when he brought the Ark of the Covenant home, he was dancing in the courtyard until his identification wore off and went to the ground. He looked like a commoner. That's what his wife said. But I also think we need the application of the word. Here is the reason. Number one is growth. Number two is teaching. And number three, it's a witness. First, there's internal and, and external growth. 
when you apply the word to your life. That means there's something to show for what you know. Teaching. If you don't apply the word, you can't teach it. And information that's held back and not shared is information lost. The best way to know what you know is to teach someone what you know. If you never teach the scripture, you don't know the scripture. But when you start teaching the scripture, you get acquainted with the scripture. So the reason for application is to teach it. If you don't have anyone to teach, ask a friend. <laughs> ask someone in the house. Teach until you know the scripture. And finally, there has to be a witness. Because the lived out word is the message to the sinner, to the lost. We have nothing if we have no witness. Our light must shine. What's the application of the light shining? Matthew 5. So let your light shine before men. What's the application? You, you don't just walk away, uh, walk around and, and hope that someone recognizes that you are a Christian. You should walk with your, with your testimony in hand and with teaching in hand. I'll, I, I, I need to go quickly to end here. Um, I just want to cover four areas of why people reject the application of the scripture and why people will not apply the scripture to their lives. Number one is apathy. They're apathetic. It's a carelessness. Who cares? I was, I was, uh, oh, it's been, it's been maybe a year now, I, but I've seen this periodically through the years. Uh, you don't have to go very far, but I've seen this periodically through the years. And um, there was just a, there was just a guy walking down the, the, the hallway there and, and on his shirt, it just said, whatever. And, um, uh, and that's, that was his theme, I guess, that day, whatever. That's apathetic. Uh, now, if you're going to go for a job interview, um, just a, a little helpful hint. Don't wear the shirt, whatever. Um, if they ask you if you want the job, don't say, I guess. <laughs> whatever. Uh, the apathy. Uh, trust me when I tell you, there is, a, there is a gross darkness in the apathetic spirit. It has afflicted so many of our churches because no one feels like the sermon applies to them when we're talking about the lost or we're talking about prayer or we're talking about offerings or we're talking about serving. If there's an apathetic spirit, that doesn't apply to me. Let someone else do it or that's not my thing. Thank God that Jesus did not say, I don't do crosses. Thank God that Mary didn't say, I don't do feet. Thank God that Peter didn't say, I don't do preaching. We got to get rid of the apathetic spirit. The reason why people reject the application is because there's a carelessness. It's a disposition that nothing matters. I want to tell you, it does matter. It matters what you say and what you don't say. It matters how you witness and to who you're witnessing. It matters what you do with your time, your money, your effort, your energy, your life, and your worship. It matters that you call out to God. It matters that when we're singing, that these people that are singing up here with all of their hearts are not putting on a show, but they're just leading us into the throne room of God, and that everybody, no matter where you're sitting, is waving to God and saying, I praise you, I've come to worship you. It matters. It matters that we're not watching them sing, but we're singing with them. Amen. It matters. It all matters. Everything matters. It matters. It matters who we touch. It matters how we love. 
It matters. And I go back to the old analogy. It's an old analogy, but I think it's important. It's, 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 the, it's the young man who's looking out of his bay window, and there's the beautiful ocean and a long beach along the ocean. And there's an older man. Every day he'd watch him go down, and, 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 and in the night the starfish would, would, would float up, and the tide would bring them. And, and sometimes they would get so far up uh, that the sun would scorch them, and they would die from the sun, couldn't get back to the water. And he'd go through that old man would pick him up and throw him back into the ocean and finally the young man came and said what are you doing old man look look at all these thousands of starfish what does it matter that 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 you would throw that you would throw them back into the ocean and the old man picked up a dry starfish and said it matters to that one matters to that one matters to that one why are we singing that song again? Because it matters to that one. Why do we come into this house again? Because someone's going to get baptized. It matters to that one. Why are we praying one more time at the altar? Because it matters to that one. So we got to banish apathy. The reason why we apply that scripture is because we're fervent. Number two is arrogance. Ugh. The spirit of the Pharisee. is that they are above the application of the scripture. It doesn't apply to me. I'm good. I'm not like those other people. You apply the scripture because you know you need the scripture and you're never above applying the scripture. And arrogance, it's internal. And you have to be very careful with that. And boldness is not arrogance, but they can be they can be viewed in the same light. You can be bold, but that doesn't mean you're arrogant. And the, the spirit of the Pharisee is constantly judging their life by other people's walk with God. The third is obligation. It's the position that if they don't know, they're not going to be held responsible. Acts chapter 17, God once winked at ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. There's an obligation. You are not removed from your obligation. You've heard the word. You know the word. Apply the scripture in your daily lives. Begin this year with applying every scripture that you find to your daily walk with God. Begin this year with applying and be, feel obligated. Don't think that you're removed from the obligation. You must know. And finally, it's priority. A secularist thought that the knowledge and application of the word is neither relevant or important is, is detrimental to our church and to our lives. But the priority of the scripture should be premier. The Bible should be premier. And I end with this, the memorization of the Bible. When you are in turmoil in your life, you should go back to memorizing and quoting the scripture. Mom, we were talking about this today. The memorization of the scripture. You were quoting Psalm 34. And you've quoted that and memorized it. I can remember sitting on the edge of your bed in Troy. And uh, you said, Jeffrey, read Psalm 34 to me. I was 12 years old. And you were quoting the scripture way back then. Psalm 34. That, that chapter over and over, for decades now, quoting the scripture, Psalm 34. What does it do for you? The scripture is better than any counselor you will ever have. 
The scripture is better than any medication that you'll ever take. The scripture is better than any friendship that you'll ever assume in your life. The scripture, the word of God, it has to be the priority. If it's not your priority, you will not apply the scripture. Let me just say it again. If apathy infects you or arrogance takes you over or you don't feel obligated to it or you don't set your priority, then what's going to happen is this is just always going to be a lecture. It's always going to be a lecture and then you'll fulfill an obligation. Your conscience might be appeased and fellowship will be lost in formality, but they'll have no power. And I would just submit to you, we've got to have power in the Holy Spirit. We have to have power in the Lord. Amen. Begin. Here's how we're beginning. We're going to apply the scripture to our lives. And everybody said amen. Please stand with me if you will. Thank you. Praise God. Now, Lord, I thank you for your word. We're going to take this word and we're going to eat it every day. We're going to consume it. We're going to make the application of the scripture. The obligation of our life. We've set your word high. We're going to know it, Lord, so we can give a reason to everyone who asks us any question. We don't want to rely upon humanism. We want to hear what the Spirit has to say. In Jesus' name. Then all the people said, in Jesus' name. Come on, speak his name one more time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.